Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Shinjin Stories, the podcast. We are extremely thrilled you're listening to us today, uh, wherever you are in the world. And if this is your first time checking us out, we are even uh, more thrilled that you decided to to click on us and give us a shot. Uh, what we are basically is just uh, sort of what we sound like. We are a uh, storytelling platform in Shenzhen, China. And, you know, our mission is just to create and foster international community through storytelling. You know, these stories are uh, sometimes odd, sometimes hilarious, uh, emotional, uh, whatever they are, they are absolutely true. And they have happened to uh, the storytellers who are telling those stories, who, um, if you are in Shenzhen, like we are, uh, these people are our neighbors. Uh, we may know them, they, they may be strangers to us, but uh, all the same, we, through the live event and the podcast, hope to point out that uh, the people that you pass on the bus, the people that you work with, the people that you see on the street, um, the people who you share an apartment building with, they all have stories, and those stories just sort of always happen parallel to each other, um, and, and that's good and beautiful and, and everyone's on their own path, but we wanted to create a little zone where those stories intersected. Um, and we have just been having an amazing time getting to hear uh, your stories. Uh, please keep them coming. <laughs> uh, we are very, very excited about today's episode. Uh, we just sort of push forward the stories that happen at our live event. And each month, which is how often we do our uh, Shenzhen stories, we have a theme. And our theme this past month was unlucky. Uh, we were coming up on, uh, we were right there between April Fools and St. Patrick's Day, and so we thought it'd be fun to play with that theme, and uh, our storytellers did too. And so they came up with some amazing stories, and now uh, today's stories are just fantastic. And as I mentioned early uh, on in the episode, they span a wide range of topics and emotions um, and focuses. So uh, we want you to uh, just come along for this ride with us. Um, we want to we want to be able to share these stories with you, and I'll talk about this a little bit more at the end of the episode. But we would also really like it if you shared with us. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for some more information on how to do that. But without further ado, I want to go to our first storyteller. Our first storyteller is Rachel Bishop. Now, Rachel Bishop and I had been talking about a story that she was going to share um, sort of like maybe a week or two, uh, right? She's not here. I, uh, I don't know why I'm asking a question. Um, but uh, we had been talking about this story that she was going to tell. And then the evening of, she showed up and she said, Trey, I have the 
exact story I'm going to tell. And while that story was nothing like what she had shared previously, it was amazing. Um, it is about uh, a little girl, Rachel, uh, and her grandma and how they sort of faced this big storm together. But I'm going to stop telling it and let you listen to Rachel tell it. She does a much better job. Please enjoy Rachel Bishop's story from our unlucky event. Hello. So I was asked to do this. I was telling a story with a group of friends, and they were looking at me, and they were like, wow, you really need to get up and tell your story. And thought about it, and I was like, I decided to go a different direction. So, I looked up what was the definition of unlucky. Well, it was kind of confusing. Does anybody know what that might have said in the dictionary? Ask again later. Pretty much, not lucky. And, and I was like, not lucky. That just kind of, let me dig a little deeper. So I looked up the definition of lucky and it says, good things happen to you by chance. Right, so I said, we'll go the opposite direction. Bad things that happen by chance. So I started thinking and I was like, what can I talk about? And I said, got it. Wrong place, wrong time, okay? So I will tell you, I grew up in the southern part of the United States, if you can't tell by my accent. And as I keep talking, it might get a little stronger with the story. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. A lot of people do not know where Arkansas is on the map. And if they think they do, they usually get it wrong. It is above Louisiana, below Missouri, and right next to Tornado Alley. Does anybody, has anybody ever heard about Tornado Alley? Got a few, okay. Well, Arkansas is not in Tornado Alley, but it should be. We usually, average about 39 to 40 tornadoes a year, if not more. Yes, I am terrified of tornadoes. You would think that you would get used to them, but no. We, at a very young age, start to learn how to prepare for tornadoes. In school, you do tornado drills, duck and cover. Um, you know that there are sirens. Um, I remember playing on the playground at school at 12 noon. Every Wednesday, the tornado sirens would go off just to test to see if they're still working. If it was a cloudy day, no sirens because they didn't want to scare people. We knew that you had to crack your windows. If there's a tornado, you crack your windows. I guess they didn't want the house to combust. So with that being said, I was homesick one day. I was 13 years old. I was running about 102 fever, and my parents left me at home while they went to work, and I was enjoying my day, not really, watching TV, and I kept looking outside. It was really ominous, and it started getting darker and darker. Does anybody know what a tornado weather looks like? Does anybody know? Can anybody tell me what, give me some kind of reference? Does anybody know? Yeah. What? Exactly. Green. The sky turns very green. The clouds get really heavy. It's very humid. Very hot. Okay. So I'm watching this as it goes along and I'm like, mm. and it rains here and there. 
So I'm like thinking, okay, it will be fine. It'll get, it'll pass, it'll pass. But it was very warm outside when it should be cold. So we knew it was something that was going to happen. All of a sudden, I turn around and I see on the TV, warning, the state of Arkansas flashes on the corner and by county, it states, watch. These are the states that are under a tornado, or the counties under a tornado watch. Yellow. Warning is red. Our county was yellow. I was panicking. I went to the phone, called my mother, and I said, Mom, there's a tornado watch. She's like, Rachel, it's a watch. You've been through this before. Just go to the basement if you want to, and you'll be okay. If not, call your grandmother. Well, my grandmother lived 10 houses up from me. Ora May. God, I love that woman. She, I, ca I called her and I said, Grandma, come down. Get in the car. Get the dog. Come down and sit with me in the basement. Oh, Ora May sat there on the phone and she said, Baby, if the good Lord wants to take me, he'll take me in this house. I said, are you serious? And she says, yes, honey. If the good Lord wants to take me, he'll take me in this house. Now you, if you want to come up, you can come up. I said, that's okay. <laughs> so I sat down, was watching the TV, and I was just the watch, the watch, the watch. And then I started seeing counties going in red. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's right next to Pulaski County. Next thing I know, I hear the sirens, the wind is blowing, and I said, I am not sitting in this house with a tornado coming by myself. I went running. I went outside and ran 10 houses up a hill to my grandmother's house. She had no basement. <laughs> and I was sweating from my fever, and I was panicking, and I get to the front door. I said, Grandma, get your stuff, get in the car. Let's go to the house and get in the basement. Baby, if the good Lord wants to take me, he's going to take me in my recliner. I said, you are crazy. And then I looked outside, and it was completely still. So if anybody knows anything about tornadoes, it's the quiet before the storm. And usually there's a huge hailstorm that comes down. Well, the hail had stopped and it was so quiet, the birds, you couldn't even hear the birds chirping. And I looked at my grandmother and I said, you are crazy, I'm going to the bathroom because that is where they tell you to hide if you don't have a basement. I guess it's reinforced walls. I grab all the pillows, I grab all their comforters, I go in the bathtub, and I cover up. Next thing I know, my grandmother comes in, and I peek over, and I said, what are you doing? Nothing. She gets in the bathtub with me. So I guess she wasn't prepared for the good Lord to take her in her recliner. The next thing I know, I'm sitting there, and I hear, never heard anything like this in my life. I have been through many tornadoes, but nothing like this. 
I heard the sound of a freight train. Just as loud as I could hear it. And I started screaming. And I caught, I said, oh my gosh, what is that noise? What is that noise? Well, we knew that was the tornado coming. And my grandmother, the good Southern religious woman that she was, held her hand up and prayed, Lord, please protect us. Please hold your hand over. I said, stop praying, you're scaring me. And then all of a sudden, it was quiet. Nothing. We get out of the bathtub, and I'm panicked and scared. My heart is going 100 miles an hour. We walk out the front door, and all the neighbors were coming out slowly. The house across the street had no roof. Two blocks away, the high school, the local high school, was halfway demolished. No students were hurt. The woods behind the high school were gone. And I have to say, as much as I was so unlucky during this day, I could say that I was lucky because I did not die that day with my grandmother in my grandmother's bathtub or in her recliner <laughs> or in her house because the good Lord chose not to take us away. Thank you, Rachel. That was so good. Um, just listening to it again, um, you know, I just hope I get to a place where, like, if I get taken uh, at, at any time in my life, I, I know exactly where I want that to be. And, and I love sort of the end of this story where, you know, where where it ends up because that that is that is with loved ones, that is with family. Um, and uh, thank you, Rachel, for just sharing such a beautiful story. Up next, we have uh, another first-time storyteller. I, I believe, actually, every single storyteller on our stage tonight was a first-time storyteller. But this was not Melissa's first time living internationally. In fact, her story takes us through her first time to Italy, uh, back to China, and then trying to get back to Italy and all of the unlucky events that just culminated in keeping her from Italy, no matter what, um, whether that's flights or insurance. Uh, and I'll let her tell you how all of those things come together in her great story from our unlucky event. Please enjoy Melissa's story. I hate microphones. Okay, so the title of my story is Sfortunata, which is Italian for unlucky. So, ah, Italy. I mean, it's the land of romance and pasta and Shakespeare stories and my favorite comedy, Much Ado About Nothing. I dreamed for years about going to Italy. I mean, for, for decades about going to Italy. And I didn't think I would ever get to go, but finally, once I took a job in China, I was able to save enough money. My first big vacation was to Italy. So I was so excited. I get on the plane. You know, I'm thinking about all of these places that I'm going to go and 
fly overnight, land, practically dance off the plane, you know, just, just ready to go. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to get money out of the ATM because it's cheaper, right? You know, to do that than exchange money. So I guess I was still sleepy, but I put in my card and I put, you know, how much money I'm getting out. And it says, okay, take your money. So I'm looking and, and there's this little place on the ATM and I'm like, okay, it's closed. And it's beeping at me. And I'm like, it's beeping. What? What? I, I, mm, there's no money there. And so I'm, I'm trying and I'm trying. I'm looking around and it starts beeping faster and faster and faster. And about the time I go, oh, duh, you got to take the card first. It sucks my card back in, so I have no card and no money. So I'm like, okay. So I call Capital One, and they're like, oh, yeah, okay, we'll get you a card. We can get you a card within 48 hours. And I'm like, okay, okay. I'm going to be at my hotel for about three or four days, you know, the first hotel, so that'll be great. It'll, it'll get to me, right? Wrong. Unlucky. So it follows me all over Italy. <laughs> it just never quite makes it to me. But then everything's going well, you know, go to all of these places that I've dreamed about going. And then comes the island of Capri, or Capri, as they say. So we get on the ferry, we riding it over there, get off, go take the gondola lift, you know, up to the top, take breathtaking views. It's wonderful. So come back down, you know, wander through town, and then we get back on the shuttle bus, and we're going down to the, to the bottom of the island, and this tour guide, Stefania, says, okay, you know, don't forget your stuff, because we're not going to be back on this again. So I'm like, okay, so I got my stuff, and so I'm at the top of the stairs, and you don't know me, but I am the clumsiest person on the face of the planet. So... I'm at the top of the stairs to go down the shuttle bus, right? I switch my stuff from my right hand to my left hand so I can hold on to the rail, you know, as a person who is clumsy would do. And I start stepping down with my right foot, only it slips a step, slips another step, and goes all the way to the bottom while my left foot is still at the top of the steps. So it bent back against my leg. So I, I get out and I'm, I'm hopping, you know, on one leg. And I go and I sit down on this bench and we're sitting there and everybody, there's a nurse on our trip and she goes, ooh, Melissa, that, that's broken. I said, no, it's not. She goes, yeah, that, that's broken. I said, no, no, it can't be broken because I still have many places to go and things to do and people to see. And so, yeah, so Stefania, we get in a taxi and we go to a clinic. And so I'm sitting there in, in this wheelchair with my leg out, right? And the doctor comes out, and he starts reaching for my ankle. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And about that time, he grabs it and squeezes the outside of it. Okay, up until this point, I had neither cursed nor cried. Then I did both. And it was just like, I, I was like, why? Why is this man doing this? So anyway, whatever. They took me back to x-ray. They said, I have two broken bones. And so they kind of wrap it up and they say, you have to go to the hospital in Naples. So, okay, that's all well and good, but out they send me. No crutches, no cast, no nothing. So <laughs> we get back to where we have to ride the ferry back to Naples, right? And there's this big, long, like, 
gangplank walkway, and it's where cars drive onto the bottom, and then you have to go up top to sit on the ferry. And I'm like, there, <laughs> there, there's no way this woman is going to be able to get up those stairs to ride where that ferry is. And so I said, can I sit down on the stairs and stay with the cars? And they said, no. And I was like, but, and they said, just, mm. So I hear this, down comes a dumb waiter. And I don't know if you know what a dumb waiter is, but you know, it's like this box kind of thing that you can send trays of food and stuff up and down. So he's like, here, you, you can ride in this. And I'm like, no, seriously? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, I, no, I, I, I can sit here. I'll, I'll sit here. So very, um, it was not a pretty sight, but I, I managed to cram myself in the dumbwaiter. Up we go, hop, 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 you know, sit in the seat, and then hop, 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 back to the dumbwaiter, back down. We go to the hospital in Naples, and the surgeon says, you have to have surgery. I'm like, no, because I'm leaving here, and I'm going to Poland, and then I'm going to England, and then I'm going to the state. I, no, no, just put a cast on it. It'll be fine. Because I can't do that. you got to have surgery. So they called the insurance company because for once in my life, I had taken out trip insurance. And, <laughs> and so she's like, uh, Steph Stefani goes, well, you know, do you want to go home? I'm like, yes, I want to go home for surgery because you know, what <laughs> And so the insurance lady goes, okay, I understand you want to go home. I said, yes. She goes, well, we'll have an emergency repatriation flight for you in two days. You know, okay. So then the doctor goes, no, you can't fly for two weeks. And I'm like, excuse me? And he says, no, you, you fractured not one but two bones. You, you can't fly because of blood clots. And I'm like, I can't stay here. And so he talks, he considers, you know, we go back and forth, and finally he's like, well, if you can inject yourself with blood thinners in your stomach, you know, every 12 hours, I will let you go home. And I'm like, I can do that. So and he looks at me, I'm like, dude, I used to have to give myself allergy shots four times a week when I was younger. I can do that. So anyway, he sends me off with that. Mind you, I still have no painkillers, none. So... I go, they give me crutches, but it's not the kind of crutches that are under your arm. It's the kind that have the little handle that comes out from the side, and it just has like a half circle uh, metal thing around your arms. Well, I mean, if, if I were a little person, that might be okay, but no. It was, and especially a clumsy person, double no. Anyway, so get the crutches, whatever, back to the hotel, stay there. Um, what it get to finally when it's time to leave. They don't, when you're in a wheelchair, they take you up on like, you know, the food service carts that have the thing that goes up to the, to the top on the outside of the plane. So I'm sitting in a wheelchair on that, hoping that I don't roll off and die. And we get to the top and then it's like, the wheelchair doesn't go in the door. And I don't even have the awful crutches anymore because they said, no, they couldn't go through. They had to have them on the plane for me. So hop, 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 one-legged and sit down. Anyway, finally um, have an eight-hour layover in New Jersey, and that's when I called the insurance company because they had said, go to the, an emergency room when you get back to Tampa. And so I called them to say, what do I, what do I tell the hospital? I mean, they're going to want to know about insurance and, you know, what's your number and all that stuff. And she goes, oh, no, your, your insurance is over. <laughs> and I went, 
excuse me. And she goes, no, the, the trip ended at 6.30 p.m. Sunday, and it's now 7.30 p.m. Sunday. And I went, but no, you, you, you said I could come back. She goes, well, no, you know, you, you said you wanted to go back. And I said, but you said, did I want to? And I said, yes. She goes, well, you misunderstood. If you would have stayed in Italy, we would have covered it in Italy. But now you're not in Italy, and it's past the end tour date. So, so, <laughs> okay. So they, they left me sitting in a chair in the airport for eight hours, not even in a wheelchair, and with no crutches still. So I couldn't even move. Couldn't get up and go to the bathroom. Couldn't, couldn't get anything to drink or eat, you know, whatever. Finally, get to Tampa at one in the morning, do all that, end up seeing a surgeon. He says, oh, no, you have three broken bones. And so two surgeries. Four months later, I finally get back to China. And my story with Italy is still not over because I apply for a job in Italy. I get the job in Italy. Yes, yes, I'm going back to Italy, right? That was in December. And then in May, on May the 21st, which was a Monday, I bought my ticket, right? On May the 25th, which was that Friday, the shipping company was come getting my stuff, you know, to ship it. It's all packed. Everything's going forward. And at 3 o'clock, which is 45 minutes before the shipping company came, the head of school says, hey, Melissa, I really need to talk to you ASAP. And turns out that, thank you, COVID, mm. due to declining numbers of enrollment, I no longer had a job. So anyway, I think that you could say, yes, Italy was very unlucky for me. <laughs> I would say, well played, Italy, well played. You might not like me, but I still have a soft place in my heart for you. And one day I will visit again, maybe. <laughs> Once again, just well done, Melissa. Uh, I, I love just the structure of the story and the way Melissa really brings us on this trip with her. Uh, it's hard to believe that that many things can go wrong, but I think we can learn a lot from Melissa uh, by maintaining this love of, of Italy. Uh, I hope that... Uh, if there is something that uh, I do love, right, then these unlucky events, though they might keep me from it, uh, may never like curb how I feel. Um, it's really nice reminder, actually, Melissa, to keep those things separate. The, the thing, the people, our community, those things need to be separate from the things that may happen, these external factors, because while we can't always help those uh, factors, we can control our commitment to a, a place or a community or, or a person even. So I just want to thank Melissa for that nice reminder. Next up, we have uh, another first-timer. Uh, I'm just going to stop saying it because they all were, but, and they were all incredible. Uh, while, we're, while we're talking about it, first-time storytelling um, is incredibly, can be nerve-wracking for the storyteller. Uh, they can be nervous if they've never done anything like that before. Um, I have two things to say about this. One, a huge shout-out to our audience, um, whether you are on the podcast listening in your headphones or you are live in Morse Coffee with us. Uh, we 
have just the greatest audience. They are so supportive. They are there to listen. They are there, like I mentioned earlier, to have their stories intersect with uh, the storyteller. Um, but I also want to say that like, while the storyteller is doing this brave thing and sort of uh, opening up to this room of friends and strangers alike, it's also extremely brave to, to come into that room and be an audience member. Uh, I have a lot of people who say, like, can I come this week? I don't want to tell a story. I just want to sit and watch. Like, that's absolutely fine. We, we love it when people come and, and just enjoy and listen to the stories. But, but don't sell yourself short because for what we hope the muscle that gets flexed here is, is this muscle of community. When you come and sit down for stories, you are flexing this muscle. You are exercising what it is like to sort of let another person's story sort of intersect with with yours, where you are. So it's not nothing to come and sit at this um, this event and listen to stories. Um, it's definitely not a passive thing. So so please know that if you create space for someone to tell you their story. That's also brave. Well done. Speaking of being passive, our next story, <laughs> segue, segue king, um, our next storyteller uh, told an amazing, amazing story. Uh, Shannon tells us a story of a time where she, she really was just sort of doing her thing in Russia with her friend, traveling around, uh, not bothering anybody when uh, a couple of gentlemen decide to uh, bother them. Uh, there are some uh, mistaken identities and some confusion over some cigarettes and jeans, and that's all I'm going to say, and I'm going to let Shannon say the rest. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Shannon. I'm from New Jersey. And when I was asked to um, share a story tonight, I thought, well, I'm Irish, and my entire life is a narrative on being unlucky. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> luck of the Irish. Um, I kept going back to travel. Um, and that's what makes for really good travel stories, right? Nobody wants to hear like, oh, well, you know, I rode on a roller coaster, and you know, we ate crepes, and, and this. It's the stories that happen, the unlucky stories that end up making for really good travel stories. Um, so I started thinking of my first time abroad. I was given an opportunity by my parents, who are amazing people, um, to study abroad. And I went, um, just for some context, this was, we started planning in 1990. I was um, entering my junior year in high school. So in 1991, the plan was that I would go study abroad for part of my junior and senior year. Um, so I was 17 years old, and they sent me to Soviet Russia. Um, it was still part of the USSR, um, or the USSR still existed at that time. Um, I was going to an international school, and I was traveling by myself. It was 1991. We were coming off of bad 80s fashion. So, you know, I was... For those who know me, um, how I am now as an adult is exactly how I was as a teenager. Like the suffering artist, you know, unimpressed with everything. I had, you know, the Winona Ryder Bob and had discovered my 
mother's uh, vinyl collection and had realized how cool the Beatles and my mother were. So I had the round, you know, John Lennon glasses and arrive in Russia already for this amazing experience abroad, right? Um, so I get to Moscow and this man named Sergei finds me in the airport and takes me back to the, this hotel, the Molodoshnya, where I'm going to wait for my visa and all sorts of paperwork to clear for my host family to be able to take me away. That's what I keep saying. They were going to take me away. And my parents were like, they're returning you. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe, we'll find out. Um, so I get to the Molodoshnya and Sergei says, hey, there's another American. You're gonna share a room with her. And I'm like, fabulous, do you know where she's from? And he says, New Jersey. And I'm like, this is amazing. I'm gonna be sharing a room with a total stranger in Russia, but hey, she's from New Jersey, so how bad could she be, right? So we meet, we hit it off famously right away. And Sergey had arranged for us to tour Red Square that night. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. I'm going to places that people read about or dream about going. And I'm going to go watch the sunset in Red Square. I'm gonna see St. Basil's Cathedral. I'm gonna see the Kremlin probably go to the McDonald's, you know. Um, so Jennifer and I are hanging out and we're getting ready. And it's like, okay, like it's time. We have to get down to the lobby to meet Sergey. So we leave our room. And at the time, and I don't know if this is still true in Russia, but on each floor of a hotel, there's called a key lady. So your key doesn't actually leave the hotel. You leave the key with the lady who's usually at a desk by the elevator. When you come back, you get your key from her. Well, we were 17 and clueless and had no idea what the etiquette was if the key lady wasn't at the desk. So we're standing there waiting because it's around dinner time. So we're just standing there and we're sort of looking around like, okay, well, what do we do? And Jennifer's like, well, maybe we just leave it on the desk. And I'm like, I don't know, will we get in trouble? How will she know it was ours? an overthinker, still an overthinker to this day. So we're standing there, and the next thing I know, there's two men standing there right behind us. And I turn around, you know, Americans, we, we love our personal space. And I'm like, all right, this man is in my bubble. So I step back, and they're just standing there staring at us. And I'm like, hey. And he's like, are you from America? And we're like, yeah, we are. And he goes, we're from Georgia. And I'm like, oh my God, we're from New Jersey. And Jennifer's like, right outside Philadelphia. And she starts you know, going a mile a minute. And I'm like, where in Georgia are you from? I have a friend moving to Athens. He's going to work at a recording studio with REM and Michael Stipe, because that was a very 90s thing to do, right? So I'm going on and on about Atlanta and Athens and peaches and Coca-Cola. And the next thing I know, they're speaking something and Jennifer and I are looking at each other and I had studied Russian and she was like what are they saying and I'm like I don't know they're speaking a language from that region but I don't think they're speaking Russian I'm picking up some words and then Jennifer says I think there's a country called Georgia <laughs> and I'm like okay so they don't know who Michael Stipe and REM are and she's like probably not 
So they're talking and talking, and we're like, sorry, like, I don't understand you, I don't understand you. And I'm stepping back, and he keeps getting closer to me. And I'm like, dude, get out of my bubble, right? And he just keeps talking, and Jennifer's like, what's he saying, what's he saying? And I'm like, I don't speak Georgian. And she's like, but you just spent a year studying Russian. And I'm like, but you could have spent a year studying Russian, you chose not to. So now we start arguing with each other about linguistic differences. So I'm picking up what the man is saying, and I'm like, he's saying something about like our room or his room? And she's like, what about our rooms? And I'm like, I don't know, something about going back to his room? And he keeps talking, and I'm like, he's, he's asking us if we have rubles? And she's like, no, we have traveler's checks. And I'm like, maybe he wants to exchange money because that was very common. People were like, oh, you have US currency? I'll trade rubles for you, right? That was very common to do that on the street because having US currency meant power, right? So I'm like, maybe he wants to exchange. I don't know, I'd rather go to the bank, right? And he's, he's, going, he's going on and on and then he starts going, me and you like this. And I looked at Jennifer and I was like, Jennifer, he thinks we're prostitutes. <laughs> and she was like, why? <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know. Do, do we want to conference this or do we want to go find Sergey? Right? So I don't even know what happened to the key that night, but we ended up on an elevator. We go down to the lobby. We find Sergey, um, who had this very commanding presence. And it was just our luck or unlock, I don't, I don't know if this, it ended up working in our favor, but there was a police station in the hotel. So we tell Sergey, these men were trying to offer us money, and he's like, we'll take it. And we're like, well, no, like, like in exchange for something. And he's like, like what, like your jeans? Do they want your jeans? Which was also very common to people come up to you on the street and offer to buy your clothing off of you. Remember, this was 1991 USSR. So we're like, I'm standing there, and I'm like, well, no, he doesn't want our jeans. And he's like, what does he want? Like, at this point, Sergey's like, just say it. I'm like, Sergey, he wants sex, right? And Sergey's like, oh, that's not good. And I'm like, no, no, Sergey, it's, it's not. So he goes to the police station, and the police are like, what? And he's like, I know. And I'm thinking, at this point, Sergey's probably like, why am I babysitting these two girls? What, they can't go to Red Square by themselves? So, they wait, so the police wait at the elevator, and we're taken into the police station. And the next thing we know, they come walking in with these two men who are now shouting at us something about a misunderstanding. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, that isn't the understatement of the year. I don't know what is. So we're held in the police station, and Sergey says, how much money do you have on you? And I'm like, before I answer that question, I want to know why I'm being asked how much money I have access to right now. And he says, well, we might have to pay somebody off to let you go. And I'm like, am I being arrested? Where's my embassy? Can I get my embassy involved in this? Like 17 year old me had enough sense to say embassy. So about an hour and a half later, the police come walking out and the two men like scramble. They go running for their lives. And the police come out. Now they want to talk to us. And Sergey's like, he looks right at me and he's like, don't say a word. I'm like, okay. And he looks at Jennifer. He didn't need to worry about her because she was just white as a ghost at that point. So we go in and the police say, 
well, their story is that you solicited them. And we're like, we just got here today. And this is the USSR. Like, why would we cause trouble, right? And the police are like, well, I don't know. I mean, Americans, you're, you're kind of wild and free, aren't you? <laughs> and I just looked at Sergei, and he was like, oh, God. Right? And I'm like, listen, I like to read. I'm just here to go to school. Like, that's as wild as I'm going to get, right? So the police are like, well, it's just, you know, they're residents. They live here in the hotel, and you're a guest. You're a tourist. So who are we supposed to believe? And Jennifer was like, the most brilliant thing she's, that's ever come out of her mouth. She goes, I got cigarettes in my suitcase. And I'm like, I got extra jeans. <laughs> right? So they were like, you got cigarettes? And Jennifer's like, I got a carton. Right? So they take us up to our rooms. We get some jeans. We get some cigarettes. And give them to these police officers who suddenly forgets that we were ever in trouble that night. Unfortunately, the two gentlemen, their room was directly across the hall from us. So that was really awkward. Um, but the police ended up apologizing. And as Sergei had explained to us, we were American. So we were viewed as being wild and crazy. And Jennifer had super blonde hair. So they interpreted that as being even wilder and crazier. It didn't matter that we were you know, standing there in our preppy little shorts and collared shirts, and I was probably wearing Keds because it was 1991. Um, but they had just assumed that all of these Americans who were invading the Molodoshna Hotel were there to offer up their services to the local population. Um, that was my introduction to travel abroad. Um, while we ended up not being arrested that night, um, we did have one other unfortunate event. Um, well, I guess it depends on your perspective. Um, we ended up being kicked out of the USSR because of the coup and the government being overthrown. Um, so that was a little unlucky um, in being sent back with no notice parents not notified, just put on a plane, and they were like, see you later, you know. But um, those two men from Georgia, I will never forget them, and now when somebody says, oh, I'm from Georgia, I'm like, the state or the country? <laughs> Guys, uh, I don't know what to say. It, that story, I just love that story, the way that she handles it and just the confusion involved. Um, you know, I, I feel like at the time it may have been quite scary, uh, but, but looking back, you know, being able to take these moments and laugh at them, I, I think that those are important. Um, those are important moments in our lives, and I just want to thank Shannon for, for sharing that uh, un unlucky moment with us. Um, our next story comes from another first-time storyteller, Stuart uh, Ramsey, who is new to Shenzhen, uh, as well as to Shenzhen Stories. And when he heard the theme, he came up and asked if he could share the story. Now, I want to actually uh, just give a warning before you listen to this story. Uh, it does contain uh, 
elements of death, um, drug use. There's some, um, there are some serious issues being discussed in this story. And so if that's triggering for you at all, uh, go ahead and uh, press pause, um, scrub through it. Um, we totally understand if you need to do that. But uh, if you continue on with this story, uh, I just would like for you to keep in mind that uh, the people next to you, again, they they have been through things. And for Stuart to come and share uh, where he is in the process of having gone through something truly tragic um, it is both brave and, and I hope that you see also supportive uh, to the people who need to hear it. Here is story number four, Stuart Ramsey. This will not be over quickly, and uh, you may not enjoy this. Uh, we moved around a lot when I was younger. Uh, my parents got together when they were in high school, and they had my older sister when they were 17, me at 20, and then my little sister at age 22. My father's chosen profession was that of an actuary, which basically means he deals in life insurance and a lot of math. And one of the main characteristics of this job is that you procure advancement uh, basically by taking tests. So as a young father of a growing family, he recognized that he needed money yesterday. And so he worked very long hours and every, say, three or four years would study up, take one of these tests, and be eligible for basically a better position and a better salary. And he would go out and interview and get said better job. The unfortunate thing about that is that it would often mean a different company, which meant a different house, uh, a different school, and a different group of friends. Now, I wasn't very outgoing when I was younger, and if you can imagine it, I was actually pretty quiet. And so I didn't really have a lot of friends. And it, when I did form bonds with people, it was in uh, kind of smaller groups. So the concept of a best friend really was about as foreign as possible in my childhood. And this was one of the main reasons that I was really looking forward to my very first year at Wake Forest. Uh, now there's nothing inherently special about this school unless of course you want to be a banker or an investment banker or uh, do anything with money or you already have a trust fund and you drive a Beamer. Um, I do not fit this profile. Um, but thankfully, neither did Alex. Now, we went to basically a freshman gathering, you know, one of those icebreaker, you know, BS kind of things. I'm allowed to say that, right? Okay, yes. good, okay. Well, I guess worse. All right, and, um, and we quickly determined that we didn't really fit in uh, and so we left, along with a few other people. And uh, on the ensuing walk back to the cafeteria or the dormitory, we realized we had a lot of things in common. And one of those was Ultimate Frisbee. Now, if you don't know much about Wake Forest, it's about 75 degrees, which is uh, 18 for everybody else. And basically sunny every single day of the year. So it's perfect weather for skipping class. Um, or waiting outside of your more studious friend, Alex, his class, 
for him to get out so you could go get something to eat, maybe hang out on a patio or a lawn, and then throw around a flying plate. Um, it wasn't very long before we kind of attracted similar minds, and we had a small uh, following of similar enthusiasts. And the idea was floated like, hey, maybe we should form a club or an official team, um, mainly by Alex, um, actually probably exclusively by Alex. Uh, ultimate Frisbee players are notoriously lazy. <laughs> and this was one of the most important things about Alex because he was the only one who was ambitious enough to track down the necessary paperwork and fill out all these documents and forms so that we could be officially sanctioned. Now, aside from doing all of these things, he was also the person who organized us, uh, got field space for us, found out about local events or tournaments that we could compete in. Uh, he basically did everything. And my role was basically Robin. And if he needed me to do something, I basically helped him out, and I was more than happy to do that. So in the fall of that year, we ended up playing in a tournament, uh, basically nearby campus. There were nine of us. Uh, if you're not super familiar with Ultimate Frisbee, it requires an enormous amount of running. And you have to play seven people all the time. So we're very smart, intelligent young men at you know, a distinguished university. So we made sure to bring about three bottles of water. <laughs> It probably wouldn't have mattered if we had brought 20 or 30, because we would have just ended up sharing anyway. But the fact that we brought a ridiculously small amount proved to be a rather terrible mistake. A few days after the tournament, Alex developed coughing and chest congestion issues. Now, a lot of students at Wake Forest smoke. It is located upon what is basically called the tobacco belt in America. Um, but he wasn't one of those people. Alex was Mormon. So he didn't smoke. He didn't drink alcohol or caffeine. He didn't even stay up that late. He was a member of the ROTC, which if you're not familiar with that, basically means he was in a training corps for the Army while being an undergrad. He was about as chiseled as an 18-year-old could possibly get. So getting a cough or chest congestion didn't even register as problems. Well, the next day, it got a little bit worse. And by the end of the day, he started to complain of muscle soreness and a slight fever. And when I came to get him the next day for class, his roommate told me he was already at the campus health center because he thought he had the flu. After my classes were over, I came back. Still not there. Truth is, I never saw Alex again. Alex had contracted what is called spinal meningitis. It looks almost exactly like the flu, but it's far more aggressive. And one of the principal ways in which it is spread is through direct contact, like sharing water bottles. Now, I found out about this because on Friday of that week, which of course is one of those details that just will never leave my head, I found out that a student had passed away on the campus news channel, of all things. 
And so in a panic, I called his room. I have no idea what his roommate told me, but it started with the phrase, I don't know how to tell you this. Also inclusive in the campus news report was that you could go to the campus health center and you could get the oral vaccine or treatment. And my mother, because who else are you gonna call when your entire world just falls apart, made my roommate promise to take me, which of course he did. But he looked at me the whole time as if I was a plague victim. And he was convinced that we would both be next. There are times on that day and every day after that I wish I was first. <laughs> Alex was the best of us. He was caring and outgoing. He made people feel welcome and included. He was incredibly good at basically everything he did, but never let anyone know about it. I was over the moon to just live in this guy's shadow. So I booked a plane ticket and I went home because I didn't want to be there. And when I got home, I learned that my parents were sleeping in separate bedrooms and my mother had filed for divorce. This was one of the first times that I can recall seeing my father openly sobbing in fact, on the ride from the airport, he had to pull off the road because he couldn't see. <laughs> now, for obvious reasons, any kind of respite or relief that I was hoping to get never materialized, and I basically flew back to school the next day. Now, Marijuana is not exactly difficult to find or taking a lot of effort on a college campus, so I found it and a lot of it. And I basically smoked every day, long stretches, because it helped. I couldn't focus on anything, I couldn't feel anything, and I cared even less. And this went on for a few months. And then in the spring of that year, uh, I got a phone call. At that point, we still had like, you know, wall phones and dormitories. Yeah. What do you mean, yeah? This is the dean, why aren't you in class? Um, what? You have an appointment with me in 10 minutes. You better get your ass over here. I, I do? Nine minutes. Now. I couldn't tell you if it was because I just smoked too much and I had forgotten, or if I really did have a meeting. Uh, so I basically went over there just to find out what the hell was going on. And when I got there, the receptionist basically just waved me right in, said, yeah, yeah, he's expecting you, go ahead. So I walk in and I take a seat, and I'm greeted by, well, what are you doing here? What do you mean, you called me? No, 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 no. What the fuck are you doing here? Look, I don't know if I even have a meeting with you. If I'm being real honest, I don't even know who you are. So if you could kind of sh shut up. What the fuck are you doing at Wake? 
you obviously don't want to be here. Now the next conversation, or this conversation basically lasted a few hours. It was one of the last things I ever wanted to have, but it was probably the exact thing I needed. We ended up talking about the drugs, my dwindling grades, my overall withdrawal from campus life. But mainly we talked about Alex and about the hole that was left when he basically vacated so abruptly and about that effect upon me and everyone else that knew him at school. The rest of the ultimate Frisbee team had either dropped out or transferred. And then we talked about my parents and how even though this is basically their opportunity to kind of step in and help out, how they really couldn't and that they were dealing with their own stuff and that it was basically my job to essentially just take care of this. And I had no idea how. And at the end of this conversation, he walked me over to the campus counseling center. And although I basically did not talk to this guy very much over the next, say, three and a half years, he effectively saved my life. And that's the story of the second worst year of my life. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, thank you. Um, I want to share with you on the podcast something that I shared uh, at the live event as well. If you are going through something and you get the phone call reaching out to you, like Stuart did from the dean, take the call. Always take the call. There are people who want to listen to you. There are people who are there to help you. Um, and we just thank you um, that Stuart's story exemplifies that, um, that his existence here also exemplifies that. Uh, so a big thank you to Stuart, a uh, thank you to the dean, and a thank you to, again, our supportive audience um, for that story. Our last story on the podcast and of the evening for our unlucky event was from uh, another Rachel. Uh, Rachel tells a story of a guy that she met. Uh, this guy uh, on the surface seemed pretty great. Turns out he's not. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, like at all. Uh, if you can listen to this story, you will start hearing uh, the audience sort of turn on this guy <laughs> uh, in the background uh, from the audio. Um, and uh, Rachel tells uh, an unlucky story and, and how she just sort of made the best of it. Uh, please enjoy yeah. Rachel's story. Hey, I'm Rachel. Sorry, my voice is kind of going, so just bear with me. I also can't see, so it's fine. Um, so I just want uh, to ask you a question. Who in here has been on a disaster date? Who in here has been on a date that one of you has left? Okay, fabulous. Okay, great. The rest of you, you're lucky. Oh, my God. All right. So Three years ago when I moved to Shenzhen, I was living in Yentian. And if you don't know where Yentian is, it's in the middle of nowhere. 
they say that it's really close to the beach, but in actuality, it's just closer to the beach than everywhere else. So when I was living there, there was no metro. And to get from my apartment to the metro, to get to places like SeaWorld or Futian, I had to take a 45-minute bus or a 30-minute cab ride. But with the job that I had, it was a 45-minute bus ride, because hello, Six Kwai. Um, <laughs> so I was at work one day. And you know at work, what you do, you're scrolling through Tinder, because that's what you get paid to do. Yes, hello, yeah. Um, so I'm sat there scrolling, and I see this guy. And so I worked with this rugby dude. So I was like, hey, who's this? He's like, oh, I know him. He's great. He probably didn't say that. That's just what I wanted to hear. He was probably like, Rachel, no. But I mean, what I heard was, yeah, go for it, go for it. So I did, I went for it, and we're gonna call this guy Hugh. Um, so I start messaging Hugh, and we go out on a couple dates, and he is the perfect gentleman. Um, there were cultural differences, because he's from England, I'm from America, but he masked it very well. He was like, oh no, you're great, da da da. So okay, oh this is, hello, okay. So, um, we went on two dates, and then the third date, he asked me to come to his rugby match in Baowan. Yantian, Baowan. <laughs> okay, I went, I did it, in the middle of winter. It was freezing cold. He was like, you can wear my jacket. I was like, oh, this is just a, like a high school sweetheart dream. <laughs> All right, so I, I, I went, and I brought this light jacket, because I was like, I'm going to wear his jacket. It's going to be so cute. Um, so I go there, um, and I'm freezing, and I sit through it, and the plan was that we were going to go to uh, the brew afterwards. I had no idea what that bar was. I'd been in Shenzhen for a month, maybe. I don't know. I've been to Cocoa Park once. Who remembers their first time at Cocoa Park? I don't. So <laughs> um, after the game, um, I never got his jacket, by the way, so I'm sat there like, okay, this is great. This is just great. I'm having a great time. Um, after the game, he comes out, doesn't talk to me, doesn't look at me, doesn't come over, nothing. Grabs his stuff, and so I go up to him. I'm like, excuse me, hello, I just came two and a half hours up here. You played so well. Thanks, I gotta go. I, I gotta go change. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> i wait. So I waited, 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 and I look up. And he's in the distance, going to the cab line, leaving me here by myself. But we had friends there, and I thought, well, he's with his rugby team. Like, I get it. I played sports, too. Okay, fine. Like, go on. I'll meet you at the bar. No. So we go to the bar, um, and he is flirting with other girls. He's just being disrespectful, and then he doesn't come up to me until the end of the night, when now I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's like... You've never been to Coco Park. Yes, I have. Oh, you haven't? Let's go. You're a great listener. Okay. So we go to Coco Park, and I'm like, okay, can you please wait for me? I'm going to run to the bathroom. Which, if you're on a date with a guy, or if you're out with somebody, <clears throat> you should never have to say, please wait for me. <laughs> but it is what it is. So I go to the bathroom. I come back out. Nowhere to be found crowded club. I'd never been here. My phone is on 9%. I've been in China for a month or two and I'm from South Carolina. In South Carolina, Woo. we don't have taxis like that or we don't have like public transportation. Like everything's a walking distance where I'm from. So I've never lived in a big city like this before. So this is all new. This is brand new to me. So I didn't know that taxis had chargers or bars had chargers. You can charge your phone. I didn't know that, so I'm like, oh no, this is, this is 
terrible. What do I do? So call him, call him, nothing, nothing. Um, 10 minutes go by, which is way too long to begin with. Um, and he's like, oh my god. Our, my friend was throwing up. I had to go. Here's, I'm going to send you my address. Come down here. You can stay at mine. We'll go to brunch in the morning. It's going to be great. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I go. <laughs> um, <laughs> down to Sheko. <laughs> I'm now on 5%. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm on 5%. I'm in a romper in, what was it, Jan what was like the coldest month that we had? It's freezing outside and I'm in a romper <laughs> at 2.30 in the morning, walking down the street trying to find this place and calling him, he's not answering, and I'm like, you okay, okay, okay. So I end up calling my friend who lives down there. I stayed at her place. He messages me the next day and I'm like, you know what, no, I'm over this. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, good. But then he comes back with the text message uh, uh, for Christmas time. And he's like, I want to spend Christmas with you. We can have Christmas. It's like your first Christmas overseas, away from your family. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Let's do it. So I go down from Yantian. Mind you, all of this travel is me coming down to SeaWorld from Yantian. This is like two hours. Two-hour travel. Um, so I come down, and he's like, meet me at Macaulay SeaWorld, meet me at this pub. We can go there, have a Sunday brunch, whatever, come back to mine. I have a present for you. I'm like, okay. Waiting, waiting, waiting. He stands me up at this pub. He doesn't show up to this pub. And I'm sat there all Christmas <laughs> at this pub, like, <sighs> but my friends are there, and they're like, fuck it, let's get drunk. And I'm like, okay, that's what we did. So we got, it was, it was a good Christmas. It was fine. Um, <laughs> so then I ended things with him, and I was like, I'm, you are, no, this is no, this is not a cultural difference. This is, you're just being a jerk. So then he messages me in February, and he's like, I want to go traveling with you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> 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 so he's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We are going to do a night in Manila, seven days in Boracay, another night in Manila coming back, and then we'll have a weekend in Hong Kong. How amazing does that sound? It's amazing. So I was like, let's do it. Let's, let's go. So we go. We go. And we, it starts off with him yelling at this 75-plus-year-old local Chinese woman on the airplane because she's too close to him. He showed up. Okay, yeah, he showed up. <laughs> Moving in the right direction. Went from, like, red flag to just, like, touch of red flag. Yeah, it's fine. So we're on the plane. He's yelling at this woman, and I'm sat there like, Jesus, okay. We get off, and we go on the boat. Um, at, no, not the boat yet, sorry. So we're in Manila. We'd been there for five hours. We're having a drink, and he gets a phone call. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll let you know in an hour. And he looks at me, and I'm like, boop. Who was that? Not to be like that girl, but, I mean, yes, to be that girl. Who was that? He's like, oh, um, I have a job interview in Manila tomorrow. So, um, and I was like, well, our flight leaves tomorrow. He's like, yeah, this might be the end of our trip. Shema. 
No. Not again. No, not in a foreign country. Um, so I said, well, why don't you schedule this interview for when we come back? We're coming back to Manila in a week. He's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. Hey, yeah, no, I'm coming back in a week. Let's do the interview then. Done. Problem solver. Is anyone hiring? Hi. Look at this. Come on. So we then get on the boat to go to Boracay the next day. And he hates it. He hates the boat. He's like, I'm seasick. I don't like this. I don't like to look at the ocean. I was like, so you decided to come to an island? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we go to Boracay. And the hotel that he booked us in, it's not on the beach. Fine, OK, it's not on the beach, whatever. It's a little walk, he says. We're driving, driving, driving. We're still driving. We're still driving, and now we are in a residential area, 30 minutes walking away from any type of civilization, any tourist area, any anything. So I'm like, is this like the first stop for brunch, and then we continue? He's like, what do you mean? No, get your stuff. I was like, all right, so fine. There's like roosters outside, like, I mean, whatever, okay. So I was like, okay, let's go to the beach. He's like, okay, let's go. Let's go to the beach. So we go to the beach. This man bought us sunscreen. He bought the whitening sunscreen, the kind that bleaches your skin. And so he's like putting it on me, and I'm like, this is amazing. What are you doing? Oh, my God. So then he's like, well, I don't want to be in the sun anyways. I'm British. The sun and I don't get along. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to. He was like, no, 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 you have to sit with me. I was like, what? what? No. Okay. So then he doesn't want to drink any beer because he doesn't want to ruin his aesthetic, which it, it was a good aesthetic. I'll give him that. Fine. But like, he, he was like, there's no gyms around. What do you expect? Like, all right, fine. Doesn't want to walk on the sand because the shells hurt his feet. He doesn't want to swim because the water is too cold. He doesn't want to do any of the adventures because it's just not up his alley. I was like, Man, sorry, mom. Like, he doesn't want to have sex. So I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, what are, what are, what are we doing? So I was like, okay. Let, so after three days of this, I wake up in the morning to a zoop, and I'm like, what was that? And he's packed his bags already, and he's almost out of the door without telling me. Um, and <laughs> so I was like, where are you going? He's like, oh, no, actually, yeah, I'm going to go do that job interview. But like, have a great time. And I'm like, <laughs> excuse me? So I'm walking down with him, and he goes to kiss me goodbye, and the woman in the reception is like, oh my god, that's so cute. And I'm like, no, it's not. This isn't cute. There's nothing cute about this. And so he leaves. And on top of this, I didn't have a, I still don't, have a mag strip on the back of my card. So I couldn't use it. I had no money except the cash that I had in my pocket. And those little trolley guys that drive you everywhere, the tuk-tuks, they're expensive. I couldn't go back and forth all the time. And the sun goes down at 5 o'clock on this dirt road in the middle of residential Philippines. The Philippines is beautiful. 
but I'm not walking anywhere, America, China, England. I don't care on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere at night. Not today, not me. So I was like, what am I going to do? So I go to the beach, and I'm sat at a bar. I'm like, this is fucking stupid. Sorry, Spotify. This is stupid. Um, and these people are sat down, and uh, Texans from living in Shanghai, and they're like, hey. You okay? You want to join us? I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I go over there, like, you want to tell us what happened? And I did. They're like, no! You're coming with us. You're staying with us. We're going to go snorkeling. We're going to go cliff diving. We're going to go island hopping. And we're going to drink every night to make up for all of this. And I was like, yay! Okay, great. And that turned out to be amazing. And I was really sad to leave Borkai, but then I had to go. I wanted to extend, but hello, no money. So I go to Manila, and uh, he had booked it in the nicest part of Manila that there was, in this grand hotel. And I was like, hey, okay. So I show up, and I'm like, hi, Rachel Waters. And they were like, who? No, booking for Rachel Waters? And he was like, no, we have no bookings under that name. And I was like, okay, well, how about Hugh? And they were like, oh, yeah, we do, but it's booked under his name only for one person. We have to have him contact us. Not answering, nothing. So I was like, all right, listen, listen, this is what has happened. Here's photos of us. Obviously, like you can get like, uh, I tell them what happened and the woman's like, let me go get my manager. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not trying to be a Karen. Like, I'm just like, I just want to, no, no. So the manager comes and she goes, tell her what you just told me. And I was like, again? So I had to go through it again, and the manager's like, no, and takes the keys away. And I'm like, oh, no, um, what do I do? Gives me a master key, not a master key, like the key to the penthouse. And she was like, this is on us for the night. You take it. That's what I said at first. And I was like, nope, charge that card. You charge that card three times. I don't care. They didn't charge the card, they couldn't without authorization. Okay, good hotel. Um, so, <laughs> but it turned out to be lovely. I had just enough money to get back the next day, 36 hours later, no food, it's fine, whatever. I mean, people go through worse. So I <laughs> go back to Hong Kong and he had booked this hotel and I was like, no, 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 no. My friend lived there, so I stayed with her and I ended up having a great time, so unlucky turned into lucky turned into i don't really know but yeah here i am hello thank you <laughs> thank you rachel thank you shannon thank you Stuart. thank you melissa Thank you, Rachel. You guys have done an amazing job telling your stories. And if anybody out there listening wants to know what it's like to hop up on stage and tell your story, we want to hear it. I promise you, I promise you, we want to hear it. So please get in touch with us. You can do that by uh, simply just liking uh, and subscribing this podcast, leaving a comment, sharing it with your friends. You can email us at shenjinstories at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram for uh, links to podcasts and pictures of our events. 
That's just at Shenzhen Stories. Same thing for Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, if you're in Shenzhen or in China, uh, find us on WeChat. Uh, we would love to have you connect with us. We, we love our community and watching it grow, and especially bouncing back after COVID. Uh, we we tried a few hybrid things, and it was wonky. I'll be honest. Uh, and our first event back, you know, we struggled. You know, we we waited for us for this time to be together and we got there and I think you know we started small and we've bounced back and and our community is so strong and so supportive and I just want to thank you guys again for being that for for the people who organize Shenzhen Stories as well as for our storytellers. On that note, I just want to thank those people who do help organize uh, Shenzhen Stories. Uh, Jamie Bacigalupo, David Shepard, Eddie Bruce, uh, we are so thrilled that uh, we get to work together and we have a lot of fun making this. If you see any of those people, give them high fives. We want to thank Morse Coffee for uh, giving us a space to do this. It's an awesome cafe right in Nanshan, right in Shenzhen, and, and we love going there and being with you guys. Your space is amazing. Please check them out if you're ever around there. Uh, we want to thank uh, Now Shenzhen for uh, promoting the event. Guys, we just have so much love here, and uh, we, we can't get enough of it. We just are so floored and humbled by it. Uh, thank you so much for all that you do. Um, if you uh, are listening to the music that we intro and outro this podcast to, that is by Those Lavender Whales. You can check them out on Spotify, buy their stuff on Bandcamp or iTunes. Uh, they are good friends. They are amazing musicians. Please go uh, support that band if you like what you hear. And uh, as always, guys, keep being awesome. That is going to do it for us. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>